2020 has been a roller coaster, leaving many without jobs as a result of the coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast is geared toward people who are in the middle of a crisis, worried about their money or their debt, know someone with these worries, or want to learn more about good financial habits that apply in both good times and bad. So hello again and welcome back. This is Karen Booth and I'm here with Heather Culp and Kim Edwards. We're still talking about protecting your finances and what we decided is is we're going to make this a series. So this is part three. Today we're going to focus on budgeting basics and what we're going to be talking about are just three core things. If you might recall that last time we talked about spending, the fact that American debt is soaring to over $14.6 trillion in borrowing. And one of the things that we focus in on is the spending habits of individuals and their need to be able to monitor their spending habits as well as their budget. And so today, what we want to focus on is, so exactly how do you go about making a budget? I've pulled a few people to kind of get the core ideas or the core concerns they have about finance and what they want to learn much more about. And over half of them responded that they want to know how to create a budget. So what I'd like to talk about today are three key things. I'll highlight them and then we can go back to them. The first one is to know how much money you have. The second one is to know what expenses you have to pay. And the third is to do an assessment of your needs and wants. So I'll kick it off and then ask Heather and Kim to join me. When I think of knowing how much money you have, what comes to mind for me, for most Americans, is know how to read your paycheck. Most times people are having their paycheck direct deposited into their account And they're no longer looking at what their paycheck entails, whether it's the gross income that they're receiving and the various deductions that are being made. My core tip in that is to pull your paycheck, to actually look at it and become very familiar with what you're making, what deductions are being made, whether it's your taxes, if it being federal, state, local, medical, Medicare, Healthcare, dental, vision, medical, like I said before, 401k, life, disability, those tends to be the primary buckets that are deducted from your paycheck before you get your net pay into your account. So be very familiar with what you're taking in so that you can then plan accordingly as to what, how much you're paying out. And I'd just like to ask Heather or Kim, if you want to chime in, is there anything else you would add as far as knowing how much money one should have. I'll go ahead and kick off. I'm going to do it more of a macro view. So I like to look at what do you need to retire? And so I think it's really, I mean, we'll get back to expenses, but if you know what your expenses are, then you can kind of calculate out the amount that you would need in order to retire. And then you need to kind of come up with a plan as to how you're going to get there and maybe notice that there might be some gaps and you may need to make some adjustments either in terms of spending or in terms of the amount that you are bringing in. But with that, one of the components I added to my financial journey that I thought made saving really fun, I actually kind of took the concept from Susie Orman. She used to have a How I Can Afford It segment. 
I found that I was looking at it. I was trying to figure out kind of how everyone else was stacking up compared to me. And so I put together what I called net worth day. So on the same day every month, because that way it would adjust for when I paid different big bills and when paychecks came in. So always on the same day every month, I would calculate my net worth. You'll potentially start at a negative number, especially if you have you know, mortgages and student loan debt and car debt and all of that. But it's like, I remember when I got to zero <laughs> and that was actually pretty cool. Like if I pass away today, I'm not an issue to anyone else. I'm not leaving anyone with any debt. And so watching that number change month to month is actually like a fun way to think about saving. And so I, I put that together. So it looks at kind of what your total assets are minus what your total liabilities are. And that was really helpful for me. And, and I've shared it with other younger people and they've really enjoyed kind of the gamification, if you will, of saving. I love that. <laughs> no, that's, that's a great way to look at it. Go ahead, Heather. I was going to say, I would add to that, that I try to remind myself all the time that I, my view of the world is skewed and peculiar because of what I do for a living. I, at least half of my work day is helping people and families who are in financial crisis, who are often having trouble making ends meet, but not always. And it's really the first question I ask on the phone before they even come in is, what's the household income? Some of my clients, I think people are surprised when I say this, some of my bankruptcy clients make $250,000 a year. They have very good income. Problem is they personally guaranteed a $2 million SBA loan for a business that failed. So it's not that everyone who needs my services is dirt poor, but Karen and I have talked about this. I think probably everybody saw within the last year or two a survey that came out that said that most people, if they had a $400 emergency, most Americans wouldn't have the cash to face that. So I love Kim's perspective. It's inspiring and it tells you what hard work and discipline can do. But a lot of us are pretty far from that. So my specific thoughts about the question that you asked to, to finally get to the point is a lot of my lower income clients overwithhold because they want to get a big tax refund in April and then go out and buy the things they need. And my position is, why would you let the government use your money interest-free for a year and then take it? If people could be a little bit more mindful or proactive about setting that money aside, you know, getting it in their paychecks and setting it aside, I think that would be a big help. At the other end of the spectrum, what I see from a lot of my clients is if they're self-employed, they're not making quarterly installment payments and come April, they owe an enormous sum of money. If you're self-employed, even if it's just you, one person, the best money that you can spend is to get a payroll service so that you are forced to stay current on your withholding. And I, I would say those are the two, taxes really are the two biggest tips that I would give in terms of knowing your income and knowing what you need to pay out of it right away. Thanks, Heather. I agree with both of you with everything you said. And I think the other thing I like to add on this is from a more of a, a psychological perspective is individuals relationship with money, right? I think that dictates a lot how they go about spending, how they go about saving. It has to do with the experiences they've had in their life, whether they grew up poor, grew up in mid-class environment, 
it dictates how they interact with money. And so to get to the core of it, I think people should consider their relationship with money first and then go from there in regards to how are they making their financial decisions. For purposes of time, I just wanted to kind of move on to the next subpoint, which is talking about knowing what expenses you have to pay. And on that note, what I wanted to make sure that I communicate is that people should make a complete list of all of their monthly, quarterly, and annual expenses. And I think that's where Kim had mentioned either in this one or the previous episode about looking at your annual credit card summary. That's a huge help in this, in this particular area. And so if you can get your spending under control, you can use your credit card summary statement to, to be a benefit in this area, along with looking at your monthly bills and invoices in order to appropriately list everything that you have and make sure that you're aware of all your expenses. Any other thoughts in this area? Yeah, I, I'll just kind of add on to that. The The main point with using your credit card statements to look at your expenses as a strategy is really to understand all of your expenditures. Often I find if you put together a budget, there are a lot of items you skip because they're not regular monthly items. I think people know what their monthly bills are, but if you need a new computer or you need a new suit for work or something like that, those are probably like pretty one-off experiences that I think people ignore in their overall budgeting for themselves. And so being realistic and looking at what you're actually spending, I think helps with that. And I'll just add one more point before handing over to Heather. Many years ago, I, I kind of sat down and thought, when you're born, what are your total expenses that you have? So if you were to pay for college, a house, a new roof every 20 years, a, a car, not even an extravagant one. So just kind of here's here's like, you know, you're born. This is probably the stuff you need to spend money on and not in a particularly elaborate way. I came up with you're basically born over $2 million in debt. And so your life needs to be spent trying to work off that $2 million of debt that you were basically born with in order to have a nice retirement or have a nice long-term life. So I think seeing that number, it can be overwhelming for some people, but I think it also helps put some things in perspective. So lastly, I just wanted to quickly address the last one, which is doing an assessment of your needs and wants. And basically, you know, most people talk about goals, creating your short-term goals and long-term goals. But what I would like to focus on is creating your short-term and long-term list of needs and wants. That will help you to determine if you're overspending in areas you don't need to. And so that's the last piece that I would offer on that. Would either of you like to comment on that before we close for this one? I'll, I'll, the one thing I'll, I'll contribute to that is I've also done this analysis for different people of, is it reasonable for you to live in the area you live in? You know, what does it cost? Like an average one bedroom apartment or whatever is appropriate for your family. What is the average cost of all of these things versus what are you making as a salary here? What are you able to make as a salary here? And, you know, living in Boston, it's, it's pretty expensive. Sometimes you can see like you're literally never going to, it's never going to work living in the city. So that's just not like realistic. And you either need to find a new metro area where you can 
have a nicer quality of life or maybe move further out of the city. But I think sometimes people are very wedded to living within a very small parameter and they really need to to think about location may not be realistic given the income you're allowed to make there. All great advice. And I thank you all both for joining me today in this conversation. And hopefully our listeners have been able to take away a few things that they can use in their day-to-day lives. Thank you for joining us.